Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamers Official RPG Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, hello, happy uh, Kingdom Hearts week, sort of, getting there. Is that what it is? Is it Kingdom Hearts week? Is that a federal holiday now? I, I think it should be, because God knows we've been waiting for it long enough. Yeah, everyone must dress up as, like, Mickey Mouse wearing, like, edgelord robes. <laughs> is that how it goes? I like that idea, actually. I'm, we all get to go as Kingdom Hearts characters. I'm gonna go as Roxas. Roxas is the kid with the spiky blonde hair, right? I, I think so. Roxas is the nobody, right? Yes, okay, yes. So I want to go as, I don't know, one of the dudes with, like, with like the robes. I think Axel's who I'm thinking of. Oh, Axel. Yeah, no, Axel's really popular. That's the one with the red hair and is part yes, of Organization yeah. 13. Yeah, and, like, he's just, like, one of those subjects who, especially back in the, you know, the aughts, was a huge fan favorite, like, was the subject of, like, every Yaoi fanfiction ever written in that time period. Yeah, um, that, I think that was the point. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Kingdom Hearts 3 today with Katie who is coming on board to, I mean, she is the resident Kingdom Hearts fan on the team, and she, as of the release of this podcast, will have written a giant primer that you Ooh, can yes. go check on the pod, uh, on the site, which basically boils down all of the crazy story turns that Kingdom Hearts has taken over the course of like 18 years or something completely insane like that. So you should uh, go check that out if you're confused about Kingdom Hearts, because God knows I'm confused about Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I am, I'm confused about many things in life, and Kingdom Hearts is number one on that list. Uh, we're going to continue the Top 25 RPG countdown. We were going to continue it this week, but my guest uh, needed to delay uh, their recording until next week. So we're going to have to wait until then. We, we, already got one, we already got one of them in the can. Uh, yeah, we yeah. recorded that one on Monday. Uh, and it was with Jason Schreier, so you should... Yes, that was a very exciting episode, so I'm yeah. looking forward to that one. Yeah, I had a really, I had a great time with that conversation, so... But that one won't be for uh, a couple weeks yet, so... Yeah, sorry guys. Sorry guys. So you're gonna have to, you can probably guess uh, what that segment was if you know anything about Jason. <laughs> that's, that's, that's your hint right there, but... Whoopsie doodle. Yeah. Whoopsie doodle. Okay, Nadia, let's talk about what's been happening over on the site, because it's been a busy week, as always. Um, first of all, we got a new site. <laughs> yeah, hooray. That was a, that we're still ironing out the bugs, but it went quite well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think everybody's been kind of like mentioning how uh, there's some duplication between the latest articles and the latest news. We're going to fix that. We, we get that. Yeah. 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 Uh, as I was telling uh, somebody recently... Getting a new site is like moving into a new office building where you go on a hundred tours of it. You're being told about all the cool things that you're going to get. And then you finally move in and you like see the drywall and you can hear people still working on things in the background. (laughs) Everybody's still getting used to it and figuring out where the bathroom is. So dropping stuff, uh, still decorating. And that's kind of where we are with the site, but uh, it was a relatively painless launch and, and we've got a new logo, and if you're looking at the actual podcast, we got a, a new logo, for, a new piece of art for the podcast for the first time in five years. So that's uh, very exciting yeah. as well. That's very exciting. It's, uh, it, it was, a, like you said, a, a pretty smooth transition. Thanks very much to Craig and the rest of the tech team for making it painless and for being on the ball with, uh, with the fixes as needed. 
Yeah, we've been. I've been working on this for six months now, if you could believe that. So I can believe it. Yeah, it takes a lot of work going through every single little aspect of the site. But uh, for listeners of this podcast, I, I recommend go checking out our retro landing page because Please. that is where a lot of our best work is because this site has a very strong retro pedigree. And we also have a really good long reads section. Mm-hmm. I think we've always taken a lot of pride in our features and our long reads. We do re- we do really good ones every year. And it's a lot easier to find them now on this site. So you should check that out. By the way, we're also launching new newsletters, Nadia, that you can sign up for on the site. Uh, the first one should be out by the time that you listen to this. It's for the regular U.S. Gamer Weekly newsletter that goes out on Fridays, highlighting our best work, and plus it kind of recaps the week and everything. So mm-hmm. it's a good way to keep up with everything that's been going on. But we also have an Axe of the Blood God newsletter, Nadia. Yes, we do. And I am very much looking forward to that. Yes. Uh, disciples are too. So if you subscribe to that, you're going to get a nice long kind of mini essay about an RPG uh, that's like a little bit of special content from me or Nadia, and then also all of the headlines and a link to the most recent podcast, so RPG-related mm-hmm. headlines. So please, 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 please subscribe to that. Uh, we will be forever in your debt, and the blood god will smile upon you. Yes, yeah, and we promise you like much, uh, much prosperity and fertility and whatever else you want. <laughs> Disclaimer, it may not get everything you want, but please do it. All right, so looking at the site at large, Nadia, you've been playing Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom. Like, what what kind of drew you to that game? Like, what what really jumped out about that game to you? Well, I'm a, a fan of platformers in general, but also uh, it has, like, very nice hand-drawn graphics that are kind of hard to turn away from. Like, you probably recall, of course, you wrote an article about Wonder Boy. Uh, uh, sorry, Monster... Monster Boy, Wonder Boy. Wonder I'm not Boy. even sure anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that boy, three boy, three. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that one where like it was a remake of Wonder Boy three, and uh, that was a even though that the, the you know, Monster Boy games aren't part of that series or part of that remake series, uh, it, it's very much in the flesh in the same idea where that you transform into animals and use their powers to kind of go through what's... It's a bit of a Metroidvania. It reminds me a great deal of Shantae, which is another series I love. So I said to myself, okay, so uh, I'll give this a try, especially since word of mouth has been pretty good. And uh, I very much like it. I also... I kind of like games that let you transform, which, again, is another thing Shantae did as well. Yeah. uh, I have never played these games before, so I feel like I'm a bit out of my depth when it comes to them, but they are very pretty. Yeah, they're very pretty. It's... um. Uh, a really nice thing about Monster Boys when you wander through the town, just like, you know, FYI, everyone in, in the game has been turned into a monster. That's kind of the whole motive going on. Oh. And you just get to see, like, all So these, that's like, why you got a pig with an eye patch? Yeah, you. That's one of the, the forms you turn into is a pig with an eye patch. And uh, as you walk through town, you see, like, you know, different people, like giraffes, and it's very, very Zootopia ish in a way with, without the, uh, the nude yoga scene. Uh, everyone has clothes. Somehow. Right. Yes. The new yoga scene. I'd totally forgotten about that and or scrubbed it from my... I love Zootopia. Zootopia is amazing for nascent furries like ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Disclaimer, (laughs) we are not furries. Probably. So we tell ourselves. So we tell ourselves. Uh, Other things that are happening on the site. We got a new column. 
uh, that we run every week. It's This Week in Business, and it's highlighting this week's entry highlights the business drama between Gearbox, Unity, and Fortnite. Some truly wild things happening. Oh, yeah. Some Good truly time. wild accusations against Randy Pitchford happening with Gearbox. Oh. <laughs> legitimately shocking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Um, yeah. Jeremy Parrish returns with his another entry in his History of RPG series. And this one's about roguelikes, a series, something that he knows well. And it's talking mm-hmm. about how a niche PC RPG genre went mainstream. And it did go mainstream. Dead Cells was one of the best games of the year last year, though. We call those rogue lights. Lights, yes. Cause no, you got to call it a rogue light or you surrender your life. It's true, because kids, roguelikes and roguelites, they are not the same thing. Roguelikes have very specific rules. If you want to know more about what a roguelike is, go check out, I think it's number 23 on our top 25 RPG list. Uh, that would be NetHack, yes, which is... that is the quintessential roguelike other than rogue. Yes, it is. So, I think it's 20... Yeah, 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 it's number 23. Yes, I think I remember it. You did it. Uh, the, the, I think the biggest piece of news this week, though, is, and weirdly, it's kind of an overblown piece of news, is mm-hmm. uh, EA uh, quietly, or trying to quietly cancel uh, this open world Star Wars <laughs> game that, yeah. I think I think it was Visceral was working on it, um, yeah. and I thought it was already canceled, actually. <laughs> so well, people are acting sorry, like, of- people are acting like Jedi Fallen Order was canceled. Uh, I think like it was BC EABC, wasn't it? Was that Vistral? yeah? Oh right, oh, okay. EA Vancouver. Vancouver, okay, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vancouver yeah, so. Studios haven't had a good luck lately. No, that's really too much. That's really a shame. I mean, I'm always rooting for Canadian studios, obviously, and uh, was it doing EA, pretty well in Ontario. Was the EA Vancouver works on FIFA normally. Oh, I okay. This is how it worked. I remember now. So Visceral was working on it, and then Visceral closed. Um, and dear, while Visceral had been working on it, uh, EA Canada had been brought in to help. And then there right. had been a lot of kind of disagreements on how things had going, um, as reported by Kotaku. And then afterward, uh, after Visceral was closed, the work was fully transferred over to EA Canada, but it sure seemed like nothing was ever going to happen with it. And it's dead now. Yeah, uh... I think EA said, of course, they're going to take like you know bits and pieces from what they have and make p- probably put it into into uh, last order. So it, it'll live on, or at least some of its organs will. Uh, but it was a good excuse for everybody to dogpile on EA again about how their hand how about their handling of the Star Wars license. And I saw a truly idiotic infographic uh, from uh, the game subreddit. Uh, which was what made or gaming subreddit. There are two game subreddits. Uh, the gaming subreddit, <laughs> yes. in which somebody said, "Here's Lucas Arts's uh, output from 2002 to 2008, and here's uh, EA's output," and that kind of got me wanting to write. It's like, yeah, Lucas Arts made a lot of Star Wars games in the 2000s, and it died. <laughs> it was not yeah. a good thing that it flooded the zone with Star Wars games. <laughs> But they were also very, at least they, I don't know, I feel like, okay, at least they tried different genres. Uh, the thing with EA is you But have, we, were, we were all giving them crap into the 2000s for being like, and now we're going to make this genre into a Star Wars game, <laughs> you know? See, that I have to admit, I don't remember that too well because I don't follow the, the Star Wars gaming scene very well, but I do kind of feel like EA hasn't used the license very well. Oh, no, they haven't. Uh, EA totally deserves... Cr- uh, 
plenty of criticism for it. But the answer is not to go full LucasArts on it, okay? <laughs> the answer, like, no, if anything, EA has kind of had the right idea in which they were handing the license to prestige studios and well-known developers mm. like Amy Hedding and going, like, go do your thing. Except they didn't do go do your thing. They tried to meddle. And yes. they don't seem to know how to just leave a project be. And they're trying to insert things like ultimate team mechanics and online things. And and you wonder why EA is in the straits that it is right now. It's it's that reason. Like you killed yeah, off yeah. projects that should have been your Uncharted, right? With this, uh, this Amy Hennig Star Wars game. It's a total bummer. Yeah, and uh, although I do think that one thing people have to keep in mind with that, if they actually did agree, agree with that infographic, is that we're talking about games like back from an era when they did not take nearly as long to develop. Uh, no, games took plenty of time to develop. It's just that I think I that the nature of the games industry was different for sure, though. Like, yeah, the yeah, middleware type games um, have very much fallen away, and that's yeah, what and a lot I, of those Star Wars games were. I don't want to say, and Lego games don't count, but uh, they are a little copy-pasty, but just a bit. The original Lego Star Wars was great. The original was, yes. but Yeah, but a lot of those games were made by third-party studios. Like, basically, LucasArts was farming them out. Even the mm-hmm. best love stuff, like KOTOR. Uh, yeah, of was, that was uh, farmed out. Yeah, like, the stuff that LucasArts tried to make internally didn't go as well. Uh, Star Wars The Force Unleashed... Like, they wanted to make that a prestige game, and it it got kind of killed in the reviews. Like, people, I think, sort of have fond memories of it now, but at the time, it was not well-received. It had a very bad QTE with uh, the Star Destroyers back when QTEs were all the rage. Oh, of course. Good old QTEs. Good old QTEs. And then, also, they... People have fond memories of the Battlefront games, but they weren't that good. They were okay. They were pretty janky. Yeah, some people will swear by them, but I can't They're really say fine. The They're okay them. on PC. I, I, I enjoyed them for what they were, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like they were the greatest games ever made or anything. What I mostly wanted was somebody like, you know, EA to step through forward and make a proper next-gen version, and mm-hmm. they totally failed in doing that, which has always, always kind of infuriated me, actually. Because <laughs> the yeah, point of the whole thing with Battlefront... Um, and I know this has nothing to do with RPGs, but I promise we'll get back to it in a minute. Uh, the whole thing with Battlefront was that you had space battles and you had ground battles. And the dream, I think, was to be able to fight on the ground and then proceed into space right? and have this huge sense of scope. And EA doesn't really do that. No, no, no. Also, it's too arcadey. And it's not that fun. And also microtransactions, but... <laughs> and also microtransactions and loot boxes. Yeah, I tweeted that the biggest case of license malpractice uh, that has happened uh, in this decade is probably the fact that supposedly, and this is just he- hearsay on Schreier's part, which is why we haven't really reported on it, is that he has heard that KOTOR 3 was pitched but shot down, which is utterly ridiculous of course yes that's the, literally the first thing you have to do it's kotor yes. 3 i'm sorry do friggin kotor 3 what are you doing doing but no you're absolutely right in that there's just a certain amount of corporate meddling that i i feel like other big industry big uh, game developers are kind of getting it in terms of letting their creative side do their thing but ea is not one of those developers i i guess i i don't even know what the heck is going through ea's head 
One of the things that's most infuriating about EA is that they should have some truly amazing RPG series under their belt. Yes. And they yes. keep killing them. I yes. mean, they're the they're the publisher that had Ultima. Ultima they, they <sighs> Ultima should be on the level of The Witcher. Or Absolutely. I mean, the, the friggin' Ultima basically invented a lot of what be, what we got to know of in BioWare and your and Fallout and all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Like they they started it. <laughs> yeah, even uh, even a lot of Japanese RPGs take inspiration from Ultima. Yeah, and to squander that that name and that franchise so utterly is yeah. completely ridiculous. And as far as I can tell, EA for twenty years now has been just utterly short sighted in in a, in a truly amazing way. Until they suddenly discover that something is making a lot of money, in which they grab onto it as hard as possible. Uh, <laughs> and they don't let go. Uh, Richard Garriott and them were talking about making Ultima Online and how EA just completely ignored them. And they had to practically work off hours to make it happen. But when it happened and suddenly they were making a lot of money off it, EA was like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Now you can only do this. We made this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I don't understand. And then, of course, their treatment of Bioware has been utterly, has been completely ridiculous. And Anthem is coming out really soon. And I just... Uh, 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 I just... Like I brought it before, that comic with the guy looking over the, the dead body, seeing all the other uh, companies that EA has shot in the head, and he knows he's next. Yeah. I've been playing a lot of FIFA lately, by the way, and, like, man, that game is annoying. Because <laughs> FIFA is exactly what EA wants it to be. It's oh, just, yeah, 100%. It's, it's a moneymaker, and uh, it looks superficially like the sport of soccer, and it's going to draw in casual people, but it could be so much more, and they don't care. They don't want it to be so much more. They want it to be a moneymaker and a multiplayer game. Yeah, they want to make money, and it's making money. <sighs> Anyway, Nadia, did you see this thing with Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Oh, is that where uh, they kind of made Cassandra canonically uh, straight and she has a, a kid now or something? Uh, so this is the deal. So there was a forced, there was a mandatory romance, okay? Uh-huh. And uh, spoilers for a couple minutes, like fast forward to about the 23-minute mark if you want to avoid spoilers for this. Okay, so... So Matt writes that the new Legacy of the First Blade DLC received a lot of complaints from Assassin's Creed Odyssey players after it was revealed that it ends with the player character having a child with either Darius's son or daughter. The gender of Darius's child depended on whether the player chose to play as Cassandra or Alexios and is automatically defaulted to form a heterosexual coupling. <laughs> and people who were trying to play these characters as gay were extremely unhappy and, like, the director came out and apologized, said that they missed the mark. They said, our goal was to let players choose between a utilitarian view of ensuring your bloodline lived on or forming a romantic relationship. We attempted to distinguish between the two, but could have done this more carefully as we were walking a narrow line between role-playing choices and story and the clarity and motivation for this decision was poorly executed. So, Oh, man. As, as Jim Sterling often says, oh, you be soft when they, when they screw up, which is on occasion. But yeah, that's pretty... Uh, that just sounds like the most like blind sort of deaf thing you could do, like... Because that was a that was a big thing in uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, just uh, the fact that you could, well, you sleep with everyone if you wanted to. 
then it'll be like, oh, I'm going to settle down and have a child. Players express their frustration with the DLC ending on the game's subreddit. That honestly kills any desire for me to play the rest of the DLC. I really have no desire to have a romance plot shoved down my throat in a game that up until now at least gave me the opinion... Uh, the option, sorry, writes one commenter. Another player who said they played their Cassandra as bi said they literally recoiled after the ending. So here's the deal. Just don't make the romances uh, mandatory. Yeah, come on, guys. Because, I mean, the whole idea of an RPG is that you're kind of playing these characters as a wish fulfillment thing. Like, I, mm-hmm. um, well, when I'm playing as Geralt of Rivia in Witcher 3, I'm playing him as a particular character. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to end up with this character... I'm going to make these choices, et cetera, right? Well, the second mm-hmm. that you make a romance mandatory, you're just taking all of that away. You're completely breaking immersion because, like, I want to do that. No, absolutely. It's uh, it's the same with a lot of games like that. Look at uh, Stardew Valley, of course. It's You don't have to hook up with anyone. It was part of the fun making the choice whether you do or you don't. Or, like, imagine if in Persona 4, the main character, just the romantic that it not only forced you to have a romance, the romance was with Yukiko. Or the, yeah, like, it's like, yeah, you're in a romance with Yukiko now. I don't like Yukiko. Too bad you're in a romance with Yukiko. No, Marie, my heart's broken. And maybe in a book, that's fine, because you're reading a book as a passive observer, but in a video game, you're an active player. So, yeah, come on, Ubisoft. <laughs> you want to do RPGs? Well, you got to do RPGs right. You got to do them right, exactly, yeah. Figured out. But when you say, like, reading a book i'm thinking is there a choose your own adventure that lets you just kind of hook up whoever you want last bit of news before we move on uh this just came out this past week uh legend of heroes trails of cold steel 3 formally confirmed for western localization and they're bringing back the localization team from the first two games to do it which is good because as i recall nis did the localization for ease 8 and that was kind of a mess yeah, um, that was a bit of a mess, and uh, yeah, so I'm glad to hear that, at least. Yeah, that they completely redid the localization, and then they were still having trouble with the Switch version. Oh, God, yeah. I have the Switch version of the game, and I, I need to get back to it, but uh, it, it's such a good game to see it just, like, kind of have such a rough translation. It was, it was not the worst translation I've ever read, but it certainly was far from smooth and cool. Far from smooth and cool. Damn right. As for Trails of Cold Steel in general, uh, Trails of Cold Steel is certainly a cult favorite RPG. Uh, People are really, really invested in the story. Uh, You should check it out, Nadia. I think that you would really like it. Yeah, I've been thinking about that, but I'm still waiting on my Tales of Vesperia. You know, I think I would play Trails of Cold Steel before I played Tales of Vesperia. Well, I'm supposed to get, uh, Mike's supposed to be shipping me that copy. and uh, Yeah, no, that's I'm true. But I'm shipping my mailbox that much. Uh, I had backburners. I'm just saying that, given the choice, uh, oh, yeah, I would yeah. play the, one of the, I would play that one before I played uh, Tales of Vesperia. Nothing, no slight against Tales of Vesperia. I just think Trails of Cold Steel has a, a little more going for it in terms of storytelling and gameplay and that kind of thing. Is this, uh, you're talking about 3 is coming out, right? Yeah. Is being but Trails of Cold Steel, it's on the PS3 and Vita? Oh, so it's not really, uh, Vita's doable for me. And then Trails of Cold Steel 2 came out, and now Trails of Cold Steel 3 is coming out, obviously. Uh, and it's like one continuous story, and it's basically Persona in a Military Academy. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a mix of Persona and Valkyria Chronicles. 
Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you're like going day by day. You're going on missions and that kind of thing. Um, uh, you're, you're, uh, a war is starting, lots of political intrigue. Um, and also you have lots of classmates that you can get to know. Yeah. So Not have the classmates. if you like Valkyria Chronicles and Persona, I think you would really dig it. Yeah, I probably will. Maybe I'll give it a try on the Vita. All right. Let's move on and talk about some of the big upcoming RPG release of January, and that is Kingdom Hearts 3. So we'll be right back. All right, with me right now is our features editor, Katie McCarthy. Welcome. Yeah, and let's talk about Kingdom Hearts 3, and specifically the period le- leading up to Kingdom Hearts 3. I, it's weird to say this, but we are not far from Kingdom Hearts 3 actually coming out, and those sen- those words don't make any sense to me. <laughs> I still feel like we're going to get yoinked at the last second. We're totally going to get yoinked at the last second, it's, except that review copies are out now, so they can't yoink oh. them. At yes. least not yet. It can't go back. I mean, they did it with Yakuza 6, remember? Where they had, like, oh, sent right. out review copies, and then they're like, it's delayed, like, two months. And then the embargo didn't change. It was really... Yeah. That was oh, my God. Can you imagine if they, like, deli- if they delayed Kingdom Hearts 3 after all this time? Like, there would be <laughs> riots in the street. People it's not curious. only... It's not only review copies that have gone out. It's out in the wild, too, because it leaked. Oh, it that's leaked, right. Like, weeks ago. Like end of december i want to say it like uh like a third like a mom and pop shop in mexico uh apparently just started selling it so <laughs> here's this it, nice like, disney game you'll like leaked everywhere i mean that's like i have i know people that go like mom and pop shops because they can get games early because they don't have they don't know anybody yeah that's, or, that like, used to be how i'd get my games early when i was younger i'd go to the this uh one shop that's still around actually and i'd get uh i'd basically get the games as soon as he picked them up from the airport yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I don't have any, like, I don't know if there's any place like that in San Francisco, but I doubt it. Uh, but, yeah, I've heard of a lot of shops like that. I, th- I feel like there's, like, an investigative story on Kotaku about it and about how some people do it deliberately because it's, like, a way for them to get a leg up on, like, from GameStop and, like, Target and stuff. Because, like, well, people will go to me rather than them because we're mm-hmm. selling it early, which is pretty smart. But also, <laughs> probably not. They have to keep it very hush-hush and whatnot, probably. The other game that's <laughs> the other game that's coming out is Resident Evil 2, and all this talk about mom and pop shots reminds me of how uh, a representative from Capcom back in the late '90s went to a mom and pop shop and found Resident Evil 2, and was very surprised because Resident Evil 2 wasn't out yet, and wasn't even close to being out yet, and so they did a backwards chase and discovered that. Uh, Die Hard game fan. One of the writers had sold their preview disc. Whoa! <laughs> Beautiful. Oh my god! How much money did they get for that? I want a pirated, a, a copied version of it at that, and they consequently, uh, like U.S. Marshals, like basically kicked down the doors of Die Hard game fan. <laughs> it would be freaking di- game fan, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be diehard game fan. And the kicker was that Capcom kept working with them. That's the insane thing. I can't believe that. Back then, you didn't really have much choice in the way of coverage, I guess. I guess. I mean, you have to be pretty desperate, though. I mean, also, diehard game fan wasn't exactly, you know, EGM or whatever. It was a relatively small hobbyist magazine, but I digress. So, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, Katie... You are the resident Kingdom Hearts fan on the staff, I would say. Uh, you grew up with Kingdom Hearts, which is a weird thing for me to say, but uh, you have a lot of fond memories playing the original game. And so I thought that 
in, you know, with Kingdom Hearts coming out really soon and before we sat down and like properly talked about Kingdom Hearts 3, it, it was time to do a retrospective of Kingdom Hearts. And you did the primer. You understand all the crazy crap that's been going on. So, <laughs> like, can can you TLDR it? Uh, just encapsulate five or six games worth and 18 years worth of history into a couple sentences go yeah i mean it's like 10 games uh oh my god has it been 10 games it's 10 games uh let me let me bring up my list really quick uh like there's so much and there's like so much like lore and stuff that honestly doesn't super duper matter the name kingdom hearts comes from this literal thing called kingdom hearts which is like the heart of all worlds so every world was like connected like all the disney worlds and like final fantasy worlds or whatever the and then there's also the keyblade which is like this weird that weird x thing blade and it's like this ancient weapon that basically protected the kingdom hearts from like evil and like darkness and stuff but then this like prophecy came about of like the world ending and these uh five keyblade masters formed these factions of like places basically vying for power and it started this big conflict which led to the keyblade war which led to the key the ancient weapon the keyblade like shattering and then kingdom hearts like disappeared so kind of like the world is kind of like left in disarray like hundreds of years ago and then the story kind of picks up like way way later uh in birth by sleep which is set 10 years prior to the first kingdom hearts and that one is probably my favorite game in the series it's it was a psp game and it's since been like like remastered for playstation 3 playstation 4 but you play as like three different characters and each one has like their own route and you, they like intertwine every now and then. But uh, in that one, you learn more about basically, it's kind of like the most essential I'd say in the lead up to Kingdom Hearts 3 because it's like kind of setting up the characters that you're going to be basically saving and whatnot in Kingdom Hearts 3. But you play as these three characters who are training to be keyblade masters because when this was still a thing because in the first kingdom hearts it's not this all sounds like gibberish i'm trying to make sure <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm just trying to be nice about it no it literally is gibberish it's like it's kind of like when you talk about destiny you know and you just like start s- saying weird ass things and it doesn't make any sense people don't play destiny uh and that's basically how kingdom hearts is but times like infinity Basically, Birth by Sleep is kind of like the origins of the main antagonist of the series, which is this dude named Xehanort. And Xehanort's kind of like the super like power-hungry, evil old dude who doesn't want to, who wants to like live forever, basically. So in his like chase for like immortality and ruling the world, because that's like a JRPG thing, uh, he like manip- manipulates these three characters into basically doing his bidding. He's kind of like a puppet master throughout the whole series. He's like urging characters in these events and like towards these directions and then everything was bad and then he like sort of loses but not really because he still like like lives at the end of every game uh but basically formerly played by leonard nimoy rest in peace yeah oh that's right r.i.p i'm kind of sad that he's i mean i'm really it's weird that they decided to go with leonard nimoy to play that role because i don't exactly think of him as a conniving villain i can just picture him looking at the script saying what the hell is this (laughs) All right, I'll go with it. I don't know why he decided to do it. Maybe he needed a little extra money. I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe he, maybe he's really into JRPGs. We just didn't know it. He might be. Yeah. Leonard Nimoy is the kind of guy who he wouldn't do a script unless he really believed in it. So he must have really believed in Kingdom Hearts. I mean, it's possible, you know. <laughs> he apparently believed in Transformers then, the first movie. 
<laughs> what was he in Transformers? Was He's he in the, the All Spark? Of Transformers? No, he was. Uh, uh, he took over for Unicron after Orson Welles died. And I've I have successfully never managed to watch a one of the Bayform Bayformer movies. So no, this isn't a Bayformer movie. This is like eighty seven, um, like the cartoon movie. Oh man, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's insane. Okay. Anyway, yeah, Katie, you sent me an image that I thought was pretty good where you said it, it summed up Kingdom Hearts as basically it's the it's the story of a regular boy. You, Sora uses the power of Disney and the friendship to mend the multi-generational damages done to a group of teens by one old man who refuses to die. There you go, right? That's pretty – that's honestly like I w- I've been writing this giant primer and seeing that tweet, I was like, damn, that person like summed it up in like one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm probably, I'm definitely going to embed in the story because I thought it was really funny. That's like the big, big, I guess, overarching plot. That's like the plot leading up to it. But what I also find really interesting about Kingdom Hearts 3 is it's kind of like positioned Sora in this like new role of almost like the stand-in for the player that has not paid attention to all of these games. But yeah, so Sora like almost dies pretty much. He's almost made into basically like a Xehanort vessel. So like another dude like possessed by this evil old man uh but he's like rescued and everything but he's like super weak so he's like didn't like pass his test to become like an actual keyblade master uh but riku did his best friend uh so like at going into kingdom hearts 3 he's just like basically where he was almost with kingdom hearts 1 where he's like super weak doesn't really he needs to like rebuild his power so his big thing is like i'm gonna go to the coliseum and talk to hercules who like lost his powers and got them back to like get advice i guess and he also doesn't know who like aqua terra and ventus who are the stars of birth by sleep are uh which uh king mickey mickey mouse uh and (laughs) riku know who they are and they're like on a journey to go save aqua who's been trapped in like the realm of darkness for like a decade but time doesn't pass there so she's not like any older she's just like hanging out in there and like helping people they get trapped down there too uh, so it's, like, I think it's, like, a cool narrative thing to do, because, like, like, some people going into this game are gonna be just like Sora's, like, they don't know who the hell these people are, they don't, like, remember how to play Kingdom Hearts since, like, Kingdom Hearts 2, theoretically, when they last played, or whatever. So I think it's, like, a really clever way to, I guess, position, like, going into this third number game in a game, in a series with, like, a lot of non-numbered entries, like, seven non-numbered entries. And haven't played Kingdom Hearts Kingdom Hearts two in thirteen years. Yeah, it came out in two thousand five. I mean, they have numbers; they're just nonsense numbers. <laughs> yeah, well, there's like zero point two, a fragmentary passage. Well, <laughs> a lot of those, <laughs> a lot of them were just remasters, right? I mean, yeah, there's uh, like two point eight. Like, yeah, there's like two point eight and then one point five, and some have like little additions, like little new secrets and stuff, and. They're, yeah, they're basically just remasters with, like, some new things, but not a lot, you know? Like, 2.8 was basically a one long teaser for 3. Yeah. God, how long ago was that? Yeah, because 2.8 had... 17? Or, or it had Dream Drop Distance, which was the 3DS game, uh, which is, like, one of the worst in the series, in my opinion. That game is, like, horrible. The story really? Is, like, is it bad? But it's, like, really bad. I never uh, played it, that one. Uh, it's not good. Uh, it, like, gives you, like, Pokemon-like monsters to have as your companions, and it's just, like... You switch between Sora and Riku on, like, a timed basis. So it's, like, you'll just switch between them at random, and it's, like, really annoying. Uh, it's, it's like, interesting, but... Sh- and the worlds are just, like, really ugly and, like, barren. And 
yeah, that game's, like, not good. And I don't like how it played. Like, Birth by Sleep plays really well, uh, and I'm hoping the new one plays similar because Birth by Sleep is, like, definitely the best game in the series in terms of, like, gameplay and, like, story and, like, worlds and everything. I, I think it's funny that you mentioned Hercules, the Disney film, and I'm wondering how many kids who play Kingdom Hearts 3 are going to remember Hercules, the Disney movie. Oh, my God, you're right. I mean, yeah, it's pretty obscure it's at this point. Nobody really remembers Hercules, the Disney film. It's weird, because Hercules is definitely, like, one of the bigger Disney entities in Kingdom Hearts. Like, yeah. the Coliseum, I think, is in all Well, that's because in Kingdom Hearts, Hearts 1, Hercules was still relatively new, so oh, it yeah. made sense yeah. for Hercules to be in there, and for the Coliseum to be a thing, but because of Hercules, and because Hades was such a major villain... And like it kept reappearing in subsequent Kingdom Hearts games and became an important part of the lore. And now you're in this situation where it's the year 2019. Nobody has thought about Hercules, the Disney film, in friggin' years, but here it is in Kingdom Hearts three again. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I. That's the one thing I'm like really interested in with Kingdom Hearts three is that like it's gonna be a lot of new Disney, and now they're bringing in Pixar too, and I don't probably like that like i don't like frozen like i like tangled a little bit jeez ah, so katie like, tangled or frozen how can you not like frozen frozen is a good movie no, I like frozen. Frozen. it's a very enjoyable yeah. film no the pacing's super weird in that movie i don't yeah i just really don't li- i like them i mean tangled frozen. is better don't get me wrong it's yeah, just tangled's way better tangled i enjoyed frozen like a movie Whereas Frozen's like just like a series of scenes and then like twenty songs in the beginning and twenty songs in the beginning. I mean, if you just go back to if you go back to Kingdom Hearts when Kingdom Hearts came out in two thousand and two, Disney was just a very, 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 very different company in a very different place. It was like the very twilight of the animation golden age, the Disney's golden age in the nineties. Yeah, the Renaissance. Yeah, exactly. It, it was basically over at that point because we had had stuff like The Emperor's New Groove. People, yeah, uh, I think, I love yeah. that movie. They should bring that into Kingdom Hearts. Did I At think we might have been? Go. I think the year before Treasure Planet came out. I have to check oh, that this. Was but, such a oh bad movie. God. Oh my god! I but I know that, that I know that Treasure Planet finished off Disney's animation Atlantis? studios for good. Yes. Atlanta is okay. Uh, I don't know anything about Atlantis. But Tarzan is okay. Is pretty okay. I heard Tarzan was okay. Yeah, was it Tarzan Treasure Planet or Atlantis? Kingdom Hearts. No, One of those two tra- movies. I Treasure thought it was Planet Treasure just, Planet. No, Treasure Planet just totally spiked uh, the um, Disney's an- hand animation department because it was such yeah, a flop. Yeah, I think Treasure yeah. Planet is the one that was like such a flop and like critically like panned and stuff. Like it was just like, like oh, they're breathing in space. I guess this is a movie that's happening. <laughs> so yeah, Kingdom Hearts came out literally the same year as Treasure Planet. The movie oh God, that but... <laughs> murdered uh, Disney's uh, animation department. Give and... us all, give us any money you have, and we'll let you do whatever we want. Just, just give us money. It has a sixty-nine percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. What Treasure Planet? <laughs> yeah. Ah, I, I just remember watching it and being like, oh, "This is so boring." And Long John Silver looks so weird. Yeah, well, the animation started to get pretty weird around two thousand and two because they were incorporating more and more CG, mm-hmm. but the CG wasn't that good. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that was that was Kingdom Hearts in 2002 and Pixar was a thing, but it was still pretty nascent. And then mm-hmm. we got into uh Kingdom Hearts 2 came out and that was when we started to have more live action stuff and that's why we ended up with Pirates of the Caribbean in there cuz Pirates of the Caribbean was in full swing. And then fast forward freaking 13 years later and did now 
I mean, Moana and Frozen and Tangled uh, are kind of comprising a new golden age for Disney. And it's just the juxtaposition between uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 and the original Kingdom Hearts is really interesting from an animation historian perspective. Must be easy yeah. to uh, to render, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm super curious to see how like old Disney and new Disney collide in this one because it seems like it's definitely pivoting more towards like three like CGI like 3D mm-hmm. animated like stuff. Uh, so I'm curious to see if like obviously we don't know every world like Big Hero Six is in it, Frozen's in it. It's good to have Big Hero 6 in there because I think that's one of the more underrated ones, but it's also one of the best. I love that movie. I didn't actually see it yet. I've been meaning to. It looks like a lot of fun. It's really good. If you're really into anime, Big Hero 6 is all about. It's what it's all about. (laughs) And I'm excited to see what San Fran Sokyo or whatever is like in Kingdom Hearts 3 because that's like the big world um, for Big Hero 6. So that'll be cool. Like hanging out on the Golden Gate Bridge-ish type thing. (laughs) Ish. So, Katie, tell me what drew you into Kingdom Hearts, like, originally. I mean, as a kid, because I was, like, God, I'm trying to think of, like, how old I was. So, like, my mom played a lot of Final Fantasy when I was growing up, and then when I was, like, older, I played them myself. But, uh, so she got it for me, like, because I was, like, it was, like, oh, she likes Final Fantasy, and I like Disney, so it was kind of, like, a game we could, like, play together. So she, like, would watch me play it. Uh, like, when I... (laughs) I interviewed Haley Joel Osment. I like text my mom about it. She's like, oh my God, that's so cool. And she never <laughs> said adorable. that about my work. So, because uh, <laughs> she doesn't like know anything about modern games really. Uh, but by the way, speaking of Haley Joel Osment, you should go check out the article that um, Katie did where she profiled him, where he literally grew up with Kingdom Hearts, which I think is pretty neat. But yeah, though. He started when he was 12, which is crazy. But I guess when I think about it, I'm like, well, I guess I've been playing this game since I was like like 10-ish, you know? Like so what I discovered, though, was that nobody remembers The Sixth Sense, really? Because... That's, yeah, it's so weird to me. Because I, I had... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was like, so I had, like, a cheeky reference to The Sixth Sense because I didn't want to, like, outright name it at first in my, like, one of my rough drafts or whatever. And, like, no one knew in the editing process, like, what it, like, I think... What are you talking about? And it was like, like, I see dead people! Kids. I see <laughs> no dead people! Knew. And they're yeah. they're like, yeah, we were asking people who are under twenty five around the office, and they're all shaking their head. I'm like, wow, okay. Something similar happened. I had something referencing the Konami code, but go ahead. <laughs> God, right? Hiran didn't know what the Konami code was. Nope, nope, he did not. Gosh darn it, Hiran. Anyway, like I think it's like people under my age, like maybe my age is like the last threshold for like, you know, those like late nineties, early two thousands things. I think so. You are the last gateway to before Oblivion, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, forgot what we were talking about. So, I don't know. Like, what got me into Kingdom Hearts? I guess, like, what connected me with it was, like, it was kind of, like, one of the first, like, big games I played on my own, like, as, like, a younger person or whatever. Because uh, before that, I had, like, we had a PlayStation, but I played, like, kids' games on it. And then, uh. like, Crash Bandicoot and stuff. Uh, but then when I, I was older... Like, the PS2 was kind of, like, my console, you know? Like, I just played, mm-hmm. I got, like, really into, like, RPGs and, like, weird stuff like Katamari and, like, Shadow of the Colossus. Like, all these, like, you know, the PS2 is kind of, like, my big thing growing up because I never had a Nintendo console aside from, like, a Game Boy Advance. So, all my, like, Nintendo experiences were, like, going to a friend's house and playing Mario Kart. So, I didn't have, like, that 
integral like super mario bros 3 was like a defining game of my childhood moment because it wasn't really like mario world i played a lot on my game boy advance but i didn't have like a super big connection to nintendo until like later in life i guess so kingdom hearts is kind of like the first game i remember like really getting into as a kid like i was i would like go online and on like really bad forums and like <laughs> read guides and stuff and like we'd go into like fan theories when like chain of memories came out because i was kind of like the first like big toss-up in like kingdom hearts lore that was the game after kingdom hearts but it was like bridging the gap before kingdom hearts 2 so there's like all this like what, what the heck's gonna happen in kingdom hearts 2 like sora's like in this weird coma thing like so weird what's going on so it was kind of like the, like, I remember around Chain of Memories release, it was, like, when the Kingdom Hearts fandom got, like, really, like, lively, I guess. Like, people mm-hmm. were, like, it wasn't just, like, oh, it's cool that Final Fantasy and Disney have collided. It was, like, oh, this shit's, like, doing weird stuff. Like, this is, like, a weird series. And it's, like, and then Kingdom Hearts 2 is, like, where it really exploded because that's where the, like, story got really, like, complicated and all these new characters got introduced and, like, the first game is like really straightforward. It's like you're a kid on living on an island with his two best friends, and then a storm sweeps in, and you get all separated. So you're like on a journey to find your friends, and that's like basically like there's like more stuff to it to, than that, but that's like an easy to follow through line. Whereas like Kingdom Hearts Two is like a lot more complicated, and there's like a lot more going on. Yeah, and you wrote a really good article last year about uh, the Hollow Bastion and how it was kind of the defining moment of the original kingdom hearts and maybe the series is at large right yeah so like hollow bastion you you reach it like two times over the course of uh the first kingdom hearts campaign but it's like a level it's like one of the few like original levels that isn't like based on disney property uh even though you like hang out the beast from beauty and the beast there because uh, i don't know it doesn't really don't think about it it's just, yeah, his whole thing is, like, Sora's like, how'd you get here? And he's like, oh, like, my heart led me here. And it's like, but you have to, like, travel through space. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, like, really strange. It's like, he just kind of, like, uh. appeared there, I guess. I don't know. Because uh, he was, like, trying to save Be- or, uh, Belle, who was, like, one of the princesses of heart who was being held captive there. So it was, like, his whole thing. Uh, but, I don't know, like, the, like, the music, the, like, like, level designs like very vertical which is like very different because like most of kingdom hearts worlds are very horizontal so it's like really interesting of like in terms of level design and plot like there's a lot of like key moments that happen there and like it has like amazing music and i love like the color palettes like a lot of like these like nice soft like pastel colors and it's a it's like this castle that's just like just like twisted onto itself so it looks like kind of like creepy even though it has Mm -hmm. like this cute color scheme it's just like I don't know, it's, like, one of the most, like, when I think of Kingdom Hearts, like, that's, like, always the first thing I think of is, like, man, Hollow Bastion's, like, such a good level. Like, that's, like, such a, like, amazing world in Kingdom Hearts that, like, proves that it didn't, it doesn't necessarily need Disney or, like, Final Fantasy to be good. It's, like, at its best when it's, like, kind of, like, doing its own thing and making its own world up. That's interesting, because I think a lot of people would say the exact opposite, that when Kingdom Hearts strays into trying to create its own lore, it stumbles in that... It's the most fun when it's playing with the relationships between Disney and Final Fantasy characters. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, like, the Disney and Final Fantasy characters interacting things, like, definitely fallen away. Like, it's definitely prominent in the first two, like, the first numbered ones, like, Kingdom Hearts 1 and Kingdom Hearts 2. But 
I'd say beyond that, like, I think in Birth by Sleep, you see Zack from Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. Uh, and I think the reasoning for that is like, well, Crisis Core is a prequel, so we had Zack in this prequel, which I think is kind of silly. And, and didn't Birth by Sleep and Crisis Core come out at relatively the same time, so it's a good way probably, to actually yeah. promote it? It actually sounds right, because they're both PSP games, so it was probably like around the same time span. That's pretty Crisis cool. Core like is also a very good, underrated game, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, and then... I think there are two, a couple characters from the world ends with you show up in dream job distance for some bizarre reason, which doesn't make any sense because they're not Final Fantasy characters, but well, I guess cares? Like Nomura still. So. Well, that was, I remember everybody kind of got extremely excited because it, they took it as Nomura being like, oh, we're going to have a king, uh, of the world ends with you uh, sequel at some point in the near future. Yeah, and, bad news from the future, guys. Yeah, bad news from the future. That didn't happen. And, <laughs> Honestly, I'm kind of okay with that because I th- I think as we discussed at length in our The World Ends With You stor- uh, podcast, it's it's a fine self-contained story and I don't really need a remake or an update or a sequel. Uh, and if anything, I would kind of prefer that they didn't make a sequel. <laughs> yeah, and the, the recent remaster thing definitely kind of hints that there's going to be a sequel, which is kind of... No, annoying. don't do it. Don't, <laughs> yeah. don't fall to the dark side. Don't become a heartless... That's square. It's square in Nexus Two Light. <laughs> yeah, well, Paul, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like a weird like, oh, we're doing a sequel like this year, or next year, or something, or maybe never. It could be just one of those things that just got teased and will never actually happen. Yeah, yeah, I can see that being the case. I've seen a lot of people uh, on the. I feel like Kingdom Hearts Two is secretly one of the more polarizing entries in the series because it's relatively popular and adds a lot to the story. But I've seen plenty of people who say, well, Kingdom Hearts 2 uh, also greatly simplifies the combat and that kind of thing. And I'm wondering what you think about that, Katie. I mean, I'm not the biggest Kingdom Hearts 2 fan, but I, I feel like it's more the opposite problem with the combat. So it like, kind of like overcomplicates it, but it's also like so easy. Like I think the big problem is you can just hit X the whole time and you're pretty much good. And if you die, Mickey swoops in to save you. <laughs> and it's like... Here I am. There's, like, no, like, uh, it doesn't feel like there's, like, a lot of consequence, you know? Uh, whereas, like, what I really like about Birth by Sleep is, like, the combat feels very... Maybe it's because of split between three characters, so there's, like, Aqua, who's really good at magic, and there's Terra, who's really good at, like, just physical attacks, and then, like, Ventus is kind of, like, a good balance of both of them, and they all felt like... I felt like I was taking different approaches to combat through those characters and the first kingdom hearts i feel like is like fine i don't think it's like amazing or anything but the combat works for what it is and summons are like really fun to play around with and stuff uh so like i guess my big worry with kingdom hearts 3 is that they go with the kingdom hearts 2 route where there's just, like so much going on but also you're like so powerful that you can just kind of like breeze through everything uh but if they take a more birth by sleep-esque approach which it seems like they might then that would be cool because uh, they're starting out a weak sore or whatever is like the whole narrative. What's the difference between birth by sleep? Like, what does it add to the the mix in terms of combat? Uh, well, it's like it just feels more balanced. Like, it's not just like you have like your attack and your like magic and your summons. Like, it all feels like those things kind of interact with each other more. Like, you can kind of like stack up combos and stuff. And it's not just like oh, I hit X three times, so I did like this nice ability. It's like it feels like those systems all work together more and I, like kingdom hearts 2 has a little bit of that but also like you're so powerful that it's like 
it just feels like such a breeze and it's kind of like frustrating because it's like i don't want to like when i'm playing a game on normal difficulty i want to have like a challenge but i don't want it to be like too easy mm-hmm. or too hard and i feel like if i just like notched up the difficulty it'd just be like the opposite you know where it's like oh man like sword dies in two hits or whatever <laughs> uh, but i don't know it's, it's definitely like i i just want i think that's like the fine balance that kingdom hearts has maybe struggled with across its history is that sometimes the combat like works together you can like stack up abilities and you feel like you're actually making combos and treating it like an action rpg should where it's like you're actually strategizing and not just hitting x all the time but also there's the other side of it where it's like you are just you're doing your summon where you have like a healing fairy tinkerbell or whatever on your side and you just like hack away and you're all good uh and i i wonder if this one will have auto saving or save points that's like another curiosity because i have no idea if, if it will retain save points like the series has always had i feel like kingdom hearts has always been <clears throat> very geared toward a mainstream disney fan who isn't necessarily uh someone who enjoys square enix's games in fact, I would say that for a lot of people, Kingdom Hearts, along with the Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, was kind of a turning point for Square because it, at that point, started to become what it is today, which is an often flashy but weirdly shallow kind of experience. Uh, yeah. Kind of really nice, like nicely presented and polished, and yet somehow... It doesn't, but at the same time, the story is almost borderline nonsensical, and it only gets more and more convoluted from there. And and something yeah, that the fact that I can't describe this the story in like one sentence, I think, says it all. You know, it's yeah. like there's just like so much going on. I think that uh, I mean it's something that's definitely kind of infected Final Fantasy to a, a great extent, and is oh, one yeah. of the biggest weaknesses of something like Final Fantasy 15, where I'm not even sure that I could really describe Final Fantasy XV's story to you, and I finished it and enjoyed it. Yeah, I know what you mean. I hate Final Fantasy XV. I really enjoyed it. We've had this conversation. We've had this conversation like ten times, but Nadia, like, what what are your thoughts on Kingdom Hearts? Like, how did you get in? How did you come to it? And do you like it? Uh, I am. I I will play three, like, just to give it a try. But I have just looked at Kingdom Hearts from a distance and been like. Wow, very little of this makes sense. It kind of reminds me of, okay, he, this is a weird way of putting things, but like, uh, back in the earlier days of YouTube, people used to upload entire movies, entire Disney movies, entire everything movies, and as, you know, copyright strikes started to become a thing, what people would do is they would, you know, splice in random footage of like Winnie the Pooh or whatever, and like call it, you know, like the never-ending story plus the adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And I just kind of felt like, Kingdom Hearts was that, that spliced in Winnie the Pooh footage that didn't really need to be there, but was anyway, because otherwise you didn't have a movie, and in this case, you wouldn't have a game. Do you know know what I mean? No. (laughs) I didn't think so. No, but the point is, um, I I do remember looking at, I was watching a friend play uh, Kingdom Hearts 2, and I was just like really confused because I was like, why is Setzer there? Why is he covered in balloons? Is he like doing one of those erotic dances? I don't understand what's going on here. So yeah, my that that's my full my feelings on Kingdom Hearts. I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah, I I picked up Kingdom Hearts. I, I think I've said this before. I picked up Kingdom Hearts when it first uh, about a year after it came out, maybe or maybe it was the year that came out. 
when I borrowed my friend's PS2 over the Christmas holiday, and I played all the way through Final Fantasy X. Really enjoyed it. And then I started to play uh, Kingdom Hearts, and I got as far at Tarzan and got very bored because I just did not like the level at all, and I ended up putting it down and never really picking it up again. Did it and then have, like, Phil Collins in it? Like, some of the music from Phil no. Collins isn't bad. No. <laughs> oh, forget it. Gone. Bye. And then that a few... Amazing, uh, Tarzan, by the way, another movie, Disney movie that nobody's thought about in years. And yeah, yet, I was thinking about that. Uh, featured very prominently in the original Kingdom Hearts. But then fast forward uh, to like a couple years later, I picked it up again, trying to like because I had a PS2 to actually be able to play it on. And I again got bored. <laughs> and I was like, huh, interesting. I don't think this is for me. Um, my girlfriend starts playing it. And... She got really far. I mean, uh-huh. she... I don't think she ever finished it. She at least got to Hollow Bastion. And she... I just remember, like, being in Monstro and how bland that level was because oh, it was yeah, just... Monstro's like... It has some of the best music, too, which is, like, mm-hmm. a bummer because it's, like, it has such good music, but it's just, like, the insides are just so boring. And so at that point, I would just... Kingdom Hearts became a total non-starter to me and uh, I didn't end up playing Kingdom Hearts 2 but when I got into the games industry because of the nature of what I do and what I cover I found myself often playing Kingdom Hearts (laughs) so I had to do I had to do the guides for 358 over two days in Japanese oh Jesus yeah so I played through the entire day of that game without even ever really knowing what was going on I just knew that organization 13 was a thing and Sora was hanging out with somebody or no Roxas was hanging out with somebody (laughs) Roxas the heartless Zion and or uh, the nobody is Roxas a nobody yes is a nobody so in Kingdom Hearts 1 there's like a brief point in Hollow Bastion where Sora stabs himself with his keyblade to free Kairi's heart because Kairi's heart's been resting within him this whole time and Kyrie's like in a comatose state because she doesn't have a heart. So his heart, or Kyrie's heart, returns to her, but then Sora turns into a heartless. But then Sora's heartless, or Sora's like so strong willed that he doesn't like really go away and he's able to be like restored after like hugging Kyrie later. Aww. Um, That's kind of cute. It's like a cute thing where it's like, oh, like she was like wrecking this. She's like, oh, this heartless is Sora. Like she just like knows for some reason. Uh, but yeah, so like when someone loses their heart in the Kingdom Hearts universe, if they're strong-willed, I don't like really know strong. I mean, that's kind of like the phrase they usually use. Like if they're like strong or like have like a strong sense of purpose, uh, a nobody is born, which is like the shell of a body that's like has a soul but doesn't have a heart. But they're like they don't. They kind of like look vaguely like them sometimes, but like not necessarily. Uh, um. And yeah, so Roxas is Sora's nobody that is born during that weird, like, five-minute sequence. You know what this kind of reminds me of? And maybe Kat might understand this reference a bit better than I do. Uh, Kat, have you ever seen that Simpsons episode with the Itchy and Scratchy cartoon where uh, Itchy removes Scratchy's heart and, like, you know, gives it to him for Valentine's Day? And he's like, oh, that's so sweet. And then he goes home and he reads the paper and it says, Newsflash, you need a heart to live. And he dies. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. That's what you're thinking of? (laughs) People with, like, no hearts walking around. Newsflash, need a heart to live. I ended up reviewing Birth by Sleep. And I don't remember that game very well, except that it had the three characters, including Aqua. I remember Aqua. 
And I remember it repeating a lot of different areas. Uh, so I was like, oh, yeah, this game's a little bit repetitive. But I guess it really stuck, or like kind of stuck and held there by the esteem of Kingdom Hearts fans. And then I never got around to playing Dream Drop Distance. I just knew that like Neku was in it. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of exciting, I guess. And there's a bunch of other games as well. And then periodically they were just remastering them for the PS4. And now you can play them all on the PS4. And there were mm-hmm. constant teases for Kingdom Hearts 3. And so it feels like over the past 18 years, which is an insane thing to say about Kingdom Hearts, <laughs> I have been very aware of this series. And mm-hmm. I know way more about it than I really want to know. It's kind of like the NBA <laughs> for me. <laughs> I know way too much about the NBA. I don't give a crap about the NBA. It's the same with Kingdom Hearts. Well, you kind of take in a lot from osmosis, I suppose, you being yeah. an RPG fan. It's the same with comics in wrestling. It's like, why do I know this? Why do I know anything about all of this stuff? I don't care about any of this. So, yeah, Kingdom Hearts is a lot like that. <laughs> but pretty soon, Kingdom Hearts 3 is coming out, and maybe we can finally resolve this and put it all to bed, and we can stop talking about it forever. No, uh, no, this is, no, no. This is like, there's for sure going to be more Kingdom Hearts after this. Like, I You think so? I would be surprised if this is the end. Like, this, the whole thing that, like, Tetsuya Nomura has been, like, peddling out is, like, this is the end of the Xehanort saga. So it's, like, the end of, like, what started pretty much with the first Kingdom Hearts, or, like, King- Kingdom Hearts Key, if you want to count that one, the browser game from, like... I'm sure that Nomura is yeah. saying that, but what about Square Enix? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's like a weird thing because I feel like when Kingdom Hearts came out, it was like a time where there are like a lot of platforms. Like, there's like a lot of portable platforms. There was a lot of like big consoles. And I feel like nowadays, like, the 3DS is dying pretty much. It's like on its deathbed. Like, there's the Switch, there's the Xbox, there's PS4, and then there's PC. There's like really. Whereas. Like, if you look through, like, all the platforms that Kingdom Hearts games used to release on, it's, like, PS2 for big games, PSP, Game Boy Advance, Nintendo DS, Nintendo 3DS, um, browser, mobile. Like, there's just, like, so many platforms these games, like, originally released on. And I feel like if they continue the Kingdom Hearts series, they have to, like, reevaluate how they approach, like, their side games because there's, like, not that many, like, weird little platforms that they can, like, experiment on anymore because now mm-hmm. it's all pretty much big platforms or nothing. Um, you could put on a free-to-play mobile game. Yeah. I mean, that's what King Mart's Key is. It's, like, a free-to-play mobile game. Um, but uh, it has it has lore and story quests. I don't know. It's, like, not... It's kind of, like, the most, like, you can skip that one, but it also, like, if you want to learn more about how Kingdom Hearts came to be... Everybody forgets about Chain of Memories, which was released uh, on the GBA. It was yeah. a card game or something like that? It was like a yes, card-based yeah. battle game. Uh, and it sets up the events for Kingdom Hearts 2. It basically explains like why... But then they, but then they made re-Chain of Memories to basically be like, uh, just forget about the GBA game. Here's, here's yeah, the here's real the one. one. <laughs> yeah, Chain of Memories. I don't like the... Con- I don't like like the combat in chain of memories but i think it's like a good like precursor to kingdom hearts 2 because if you go into kingdom hearts 2 without having played that you're like what the hell like how why is where's sora who is this blonde haired kid what's going on like you just have like no context for like how that game begins and it kind of feels like metal gear solid 2 like doing the whole like well 
sorry, no snake for the rest of this. <laughs> I think the re- what would keep Kingdom Hearts going after this release is just the fact that it is one of a handful of Square Enix games with gar- guaranteed mainstream recognition. And it now has an entire generation of fans who literally grew up with it. Uh, Katie is a good case with, uh, of this. Um, who really, really like it. And it seems to inspire more passion in its fan base than a lot of things. Like, they really, really get into the lore Mm-hmm. And the, the, the relationships between the different characters and all of the, the jargon and, and everything, which I'm not judging or anything like that. I'm just saying it's a, it, as a fact. And to have that level of excitement from your fan base over a particular series, I think that makes it really hard to abandon it entirely. So we may not see another Kingdom Hearts for f- several years yet, yet, especially with Nomura working on the Final Fantasy VII remake. Oh, God. Yeah, he's got to get a fire under his ass over that. Yeah, but uh, Kingdom Hearts, I, I don't know, maybe Kingdom Hearts 4 will happen at some point. I, but personally, I'd rather be playing Final Fantasy sixteen. But yes. So, Katie, you uh, it's been 18 years. You... You uh, grew up with Kingdom Hearts. How do you feel going into Kingdom Hearts 3? It feels really weird, you know? Like, it's, like, definitely, like, a thing. Like, I remember after Kingdom Hearts 2 and, like, seeing the secret end. Like, I feel like the ending to Kingdom Hearts 2 has, like, really nice finality to it. And then there's, like, a secret ending where, like, Sora and Kyrie and Riku are back together on the island or whatever, like, after the whole events are resolved. And they get, like, a letter from King Mickey that's, like, you don't see the contents of the letter, but, you know, it's, like, oh, there's gonna be another adventure. Uh, so it's, it's interesting because I feel like that was back in like 2005. So I was like, I'm 26 now or I'm turning 27 this year. So I don't know. I was, I was young, basically. (laughs) Like I was like a kid when that game came out, uh, or I guess a teenager. I don't know. Uh, no kid. I think I was probably in sixth grade. Now I'm like thinking about it. So it's like definitely a weird thing where as I've grown older, I've always played Kingdom Hearts games, but like my reception of them has definitely gone downhill you know like i really liked birth by sleep but then like dream drop distance and like coded and like other stuff was like not that great so it's kind of like i felt like i was kind of playing out obligation because it's like well i dedicated so much time in my life to this series i might as well see it through uh <laughs> here so, you are yeah but I, I don't know i'm, I'm definitely like excited I, maybe i'm excited for like my kid self to see how it all wraps up and i'm excited to see like how everything resolves because there's just like this super dense history they've built up and universe they've built up and i'm interested to see like how this sort of game translates in modern disney uh compared to like disney renaissance era when like kingdom hearts really started took off and everything so i don't know i i I feel like cautiously optimistic because there's there's always a chance it could be just like a mess because it's it's like notoriously been development for like a decade or whatever so it's, or maybe less than a decade. I don't remember when it was announced. It was like probably 2012, 2013? Yeah, it was time. announced right at the same time as the PS4 at like E3. Yeah, and Nomura like, said that Nomura was, right? was annoyed because when it was announced, he was like, it, we haven't even started development on it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just, it was right when they announced that Versus 13 was 15, right? That was like the big thing. Well, it's the same with was- Final Fantasy VII Remake where they're like, it's coming and he's like we haven't even started 
development on it. And wait a minute, what? I'm the director? Why is my name attached to this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand that why developers do that like yeah you should you should never announce a thing until literally the year it's coming out yeah that would be the ideal world just what you got to do is you go with the follow-up for strategy of Mm -hmm. it's coming out it's like hi this is e3 we're showing you the game here's all the info that you possibly need to know it's coming out in november mic drop yeah yeah that's yeah I, I agree with that like that's like the ideal situation but i guess with like leaks and stuff like maybe i think developers are more scared than they used to be maybe maybe uh so it's definitely a bummer but yeah like kingdom hearts 3 it's like i remember being like really excited when it was announced i was like oh my god like finally and then it's just been like so long and now i work in the industry and stuff and it's like a weird thing of like wow I remember when StarCraft II was announced in, like, 2007, 2006, and it finally came out in 2010, and that felt like forever. God. Anyway, Katie, we'll read your review when it comes out next week, and we'll have you back on the show to talk about how you're feeling about Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, Well, we'll be talking a whole bunch about Kingdom Hearts 3, so buckle up. There's a lot to discuss on this one but in the meantime good luck godspeed yes and enjoy yourself all right thanks to katie for coming on the show to talk to us about kingdom hearts nadia last week we talked about dragon quest 5 on this podcast and also the bungie destiny split but people cared about dragon quest 5 and i call <laughs> dragon quest 5 the best rpg the best entry in the series and this is what people had to say were nintendo sent me a dm on twitter thanks for that and said one of my favorite little details about the game is that you aren't really playing the hero of the story your son is the hero at the end of the day when you find the legendary armor, shield, and sword, you won't can't use it. It's for the real hero who you are trying to find. I love the twist that it turns out to be your son, and you are only the shepherd guiding him on the quest to take him down evil. Most RPGs usually put you in the role of the great hero, the one who saves the day, but I really love just how different this is for this is and something I don't think the game gets a lot of credit for. Yeah, that's actually that is very much a good point. Uh and it kind of gives you a little more insight into uh, certain things about, like, you know, why demons were kidnapping children to begin with. And you realize, oh, that's who they were looking for, not you. And I think it speaks to the role of being a parent, right? I mean, mm-hmm. once you have a kid, you give everything of yourself to them. To You sacrifice everything. You sacrifice your life, your happiness. Uh, you do all you can to give them a better life than you did. And so in that respect, in this time, like to realize that you are not the hero of the story, your child is the hero of the story, uh, and to give them the weapon and the armor and everything, I think is, uh, I don't know, like it kind of is the real story of being a parent, right? Yeah, it really is. It's kind of terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, if I ever have a kid, I'm going to give him a sweet magic sword and some armor too. <laughs> Go over there now. <laughs> Uh, Go to seventeenth cup says Deborah is an amazing spousal choice in DQ five, and I'm so glad I made the obviously incorrect decision. And went with her on my second playthrough. Not only could she hold her own in battle, but she really did have a heart of gold buried beneath all those layers of nearly always hilarious jerk. 
If I had known if I had ever had a party and member in any RPG that made me laugh as much as she did during all of her party chat exposition. While Bianca is my favorite DQ character in the game makes clear that she's the correct choice. I really do love how you're allowed to ignore the bond she and the protagonist have built up over many years and adventures in favor of marrying someone she's known for like an hour. Yeah. (laughs) And there's something else I forgot about, Deborah. Uh, When you get married to her on your honeymoon, she makes you sleep on the floor. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that. So that just says it all over. That just says it all there. It totally does, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> she is pretty great. Uh Moochan says Dragon Quest 5 is great, but I'm more of a DQ47 fan. Yes, I'm one of three people that loves 7. DQ4 mostly since I feel it did the ff6 before ff6 and did it better in every single way but i'm not really a fan of the bloated cast in ff6 and sadly the ds localization is pretty annoying but luckily every dq game afterward had a much better localization dq7 because i really felt like i was playing the spiritual successor to chrono trigger going back in time to save the future with deep stories you could really see hori had so much love for chrono trigger that he wanted to do it again but this time using dragon quest that's a good point. I never thought of that. But uh, yeah, when I, I replayed Dragon Quest Seven on the 3DS, I actually never got to play the PlayStation version. And God, it was a flawed game, but I still enjoyed it quite a bit. It was not my favorite Dragon Quest, but it's it's you know, somewhere mid-tier, I would say. Funktron says, I love DQ5. Does a great job putting the character player in the same position as 5. I'd say hero, but that's technically his son. At the start, mm-hmm. he's a kid who needs protection. The player has no bad choice, chance in the first battle, and has to be rescued. Five is forced from town to town. The player chafes at being railroaded. Five sneaks out on adventures. The player gets stronger and more independent. Finally, you, Five, and the player are strong enough to chase after his father to the ruins to try to rescue the prince. And you feel it when everything goes wrong. And then it does the same thing for Act 2. Five's escape from slavery is mirrored by the player. The player wants to find out what happened to the world in their absence. So does Five. We wander around lost, unsure what to do. The same for Five. We feel alone. After Harry leaves, Five doesn't have anyone in his party except for whatever monsters he can recruit. And in Act 3, we have exactly the same motivations as Five. Find the kids. Rescue his wife, his mother. Take out the villains. It's amazing. Most RPGs can't pull off that level of identification with the protagonist. Dragon Quest V nails it. Yeah, it does. It has a very good, solid, uh, definitive act sort of uh, setup going on. Rider Kicker says, I think I told my story about DQ5 a few times, so basically it was one of the first games I ever played on my computer as I wanted to play Ooh. emulators like my friends. Having played FF4 on my PS1, I was shocked how rudimentary DQ5 was compared to it, but was gripped by the struggles of the main character. I never finished the game due to my schooling and for discovery of FF5. I finally played it again with the DS release, bought from the store for only 25 bucks when the initial low print run drove up prices up to 50 bucks. I fell in love with it all over again and understood Papa's a bit more and watched his will transfer into the main character as he saw his offspring become the legendary hero. What an allegory about adulthood that God of War or Yakuza 6 only just got in 2018. Hmm. I... I think that's the thing that maybe we only kind of touched on in our discussion was that Dragon Quest V got... I, the D, the DS version is the definitive version in my view. And mm-hmm. because the yeah. PlayStation 2 remake, if I recall correctly, added a ton to the SNES uh, version, but also was kind of buggy and had some issues yeah. there. Yeah, I feel like the DS version, what I know of that versus the PlayStation version, is it had the, the polish that the PlayStation version didn't quite have. 
Yeah. And then you look at the DS version, and it really polished up the PS2 version a lot while vastly improving the graphics from the SNES version. And mm-hmm. honestly, that's the one you should be playing, or, or the iPad version, either one. I, yeah, yeah, something I said on Twitter the other day, because people have been asking me uh, if it's okay to play the uh, iOS version, Android version, and it's like, number one, uh, sure, I'm not your mom, go ahead. <laughs> number two, <laughs> number two, it's actually, um, I still think the DS version, if you can somehow secure a copy, and you still have, like, your DS or 3DS in, in like, rotation, I would go with that first, but if you don't, for whatever reason, like, the iOS uh, version, especially on your iPad, it's is perfectly good it's a good uh it's a good port and uh it's a good price go for it and roto 13 says you silly goose you accidentally used art from dq5 instead of six and then type with the name several times <laughs> referring to it being the best <laughs> g- game in the series yeah um if uh, i don't know if roto listens to the song or not uh, to, to the uh the podcast or not but uh, if you do roto uh change your tune or i am going to burn down the only mary browns in toronto oh snap yeah. <laughs> and Rider Kicker is saying, Cat confusing Advance, uh, Super Robot Wars uh, Advance on the GBA PSP with Alpha on the PS1 again. I must have misspoken. Yeah, mm. Super Robot Wars A refers to A Advance, as in the game that was on the GBA and was remade for the PSP. And yes, Rider Kicker is correct that it is, quote, hard as balls. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say Robot Wars Alf? Uh, no, there's Advance and Alpha, not Alf. Alpha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kill me. I got a lot of people asking me, uh, as usual, when I bring up the series, brought up the series, I uh, got a, a wave of DMs from people asking me, like, is it good? Should I be playing it? Um, should I play it if I've never, if I'm not very familiar with the anime, etc.? Uh, this is what I'll say. I played Super Robot Wars W without ever having watched a single minute of any of the shows on, on it. And mm. it made me want to go watch uh, Gundam Wing and oh no come back but not realizing that <laughs> but i went looking for gundam weeding and found gundam seed instead <laughs> and i was like well, i don't understand where's the the wing robot and the cool one with the gatling guns oh well i'll just watch this one instead <laughs> it is really cool and the reason that happened was because i was living in japan at the time and i always saw gundam seed rango versus zaft uh, arcade machines in the arcades and so Gundam Seed was the mm-hmm. name that stuck with me so I assumed that Gundam Wing was Gundam Seed and it wasn't until later that I was like oh yeah, that's Gundam Wing okay yeah one of, one of my favorite things actually is uh, I follow a blog that like kind of takes snapshots of like fan pages from the 90s that were on GeoCities and uh, once in a blue moon you'll find like an old shrine quote unquote to one of the Gundam Wing boys oh man a good friend of mine is uh, was a Gundam Wing maniac back in the day was very much into the Gundam Wing slash fiction because that's why it was made it was just like uh, we need to get a lot more women uh, into Gundam I don't know let's make Gundam again but except it's pretty boys and also you can mix and match them as you please and it worked especially it especially worked and (laughs) even today I think that Gundam Wing's audience here in the US is still predominantly women so the extremely cynical strategy worked. It did. Good for that. Uh, but if you are planning to pick up a copy of Super Robot Wars, I'd wait till Super Robot Wars T that is coming out on the Nintendo Switch because I think the Switch is a great way to play a Super Robot Wars game. I think you'll probably be able to play it in English. Um, it should be if it's like the last two games in the series. 
uh, just make sure to pick up the uh, the Hong Kong version or whatever, the Asian version, and uh, you should be golden. Uh, and if you don't want to pick up T, then maybe pick up V for the PSP. I wouldn't res- I wouldn't really recommend X. I don't think X is as good, though. It, it, at the end of the day, it all just depends on what shows you like. If you like Yamato, get V. If you like Magic Knight Ray Earth, get T. There you go. Okay. It's too bad they, they apparently squandered the uh, coolest letter on the on a bad entry. Oh, it's SRWX. Like X. And it's like, ah, oh, that sucks. Yeah. I like SRW. I think yeah. the letter Z is pretty awesome, and SRWZ is the best one in the entire series. So there you go. Or SRWZ, as they say in the cold north. Z, yes. <laughs> that same. I'll actually say it most of, uh, through most of the world. You guys are the ones who say Z. Axe of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Spotify, you should go check us out on Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. We love seeing kind reviews from people who are enjoying the show. And thanks to all the people who have been saying super nice things about the show to me on Twitter lately. Um... Your feedback really keeps me going because I do this every single friggin' week and it's a grind <laughs> uh, planning the show and getting everybody together mm-hmm. and talking about RPGs for a couple hours and then editing and putting it up. So uh, whenever you're like, ah, I really like the show, I'm like, you know what? Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. That's sweet. Yeah. So if you haven't already, go check out the news site. I think it's pretty neat. It's USG. It's US Gamer. Dot net and follow us on all of the social media channels. In the meantime, uh, we'll be back next week and we're going to be continuing the top 25 RPG countdown with number seven because I will be able to get my guest on that time. But until then, I've been Cat Bailey and for Nani myself, thanks for listening. Make sure to go to check out the newly redesigned site. We work really hard on it. And until then, happy adventuring.